All right, well, brothers and sisters, it is a real joy, privilege, and honor to be with you this morning. This sermon, as, as Dave was sharing, is a sermon that um, has been prayed over, has been a part of some of the thinking of this church, and God has done, um, done a work in my own life over many years to bring me to this moment uh, to be able to share with you this morning. So thanks for the great privilege and opportunity of being with you this morning. Uh, for those, both those online as well as those here, we actually have a handout that we're going to share around for the kids. We have some textures and pencils and grown-ups. If you're sneaky, you might be able to grab one as well. It looks like we've got a bunch of those handouts that I think you can see on the slide here as well. And that's just a way of kind of structuring and helping especially the young people to follow along, maybe draw some pictures, uh, check out how many times certain words have been said, different things like that. So that's just an activity uh, for you all. Um, now, as many of you know, my family and I are fairly new to the Blue Mountains. Uh, it was crazy as I was preparing this message to think that uh, we've been joining you all online uh, now for more than six months. Uh, and I want to take a moment, although it's weird to look at a phone camera to say it, but I want to take a moment to say a shout out to those folks who are joining us online. We had a little bit of a hiccup at the beginning, but it's glad we're glad to have you with us. Um, and it is a real uh, joy as someone who um, has been in that group online for some time to, to know and observe how this community has welcomed and cared for the folks who are joining us online for various reasons because they're isolating or uh, protecting vulnerable family members. So shout out to you guys and feel free through the Facebook to grab that handout that I mentioned. We're praying for you guys uh, at home. Uh, we miss you and we look forward to the day and we're all praying for it and making sacrifices uh, toward it such that uh, the days of Zoom church would be a, a faint memory. <laughs> we look forward to that, don't we? Uh, where we can reveal our faces at church as well. Um, so this is the third in a series of sermons to introduce uh, the theme of the year, the story and way of Jesus. Two weeks ago, Stuart spoke about the immense privilege it is and the gift that it is to be called a child of God. And last week, Dave spoke to us about how Jesus offers us rest and refreshment from the constant work and the frustration of doing things our own way. Together, those talks really point us as Christian people to the calling of Jesus, that if anyone is to follow him, he must take up his cross and follow Jesus daily. And so this week, we come to this idea, which I've titled Gospel Legacy. And when we use the term legacy, I've got a couple of images there on the slide. We're sometimes referring to money or property that we might leave to the next generation. We might leave to people in our family. Um, legacy is also the answer to the question, how did this person shape who we are as a society or our community or our family? Maybe a famous leader or a president or whomever, right? And in a sense, having thought about this idea of making much of Jesus in our lives, it's a little strange to speak about legacy. We've spent two weeks really reflecting on that idea that John the Baptist says in John 3 that, that he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. We've been reflecting on that, haven't we? But the legacy we're talking about isn't something that makes much of us or of who we are. The legacy we're talking about is, is one that makes much of the immense riches of God, of who he is, and of what he's done for us 
in Jesus. And it's that beautiful and, yes, rich story. I think those, that image of kind of gold bullion that I think is on the next slide there is really appropriate as we think about, even more valuable than that, appropriate to think about this rich story that we leave the generations to come. So today's message is really an invitation to cast our mind back into the depths of salvation history, but also to cast our minds forward to the change that God might be pleased to bring about, to the transformation God might be pleased to bring about through your lives and mine to shape the generations to come. So I'm going to take a moment to pray again, and then we'll jump into the text that was read for us. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the beautiful vision of impacting the generations to come with the truth of the gospel. We pray that you'll quiet our hearts and help our minds to pay attention and to hear the message that you have for us today. We praise you for what you've done for us in Jesus. We praise you for the certain future that those who trust in him have in heaven. And we pray that we will live now in a way that brings honor and glory to your name in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be using those first verses, first eight verses of Psalm 78 that were read for us as kind of an anchor text for today's message. And we're going to talk about first the story of God. So I want to read those first three verses of Psalm 78, and it goes like this. Um, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I'll open my mouth in parables. I'll utter hidden things, things from of old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. And in these first three verses, what the psalmist is saying is that God's people have a story. But he's not speaking about our individual story. He's talking about the story of our community. You see, in Australia, in the United States, in much of the West, when we think about these things, when we even think about that picture that Stuart shared two weeks ago of being a child of God, we often think about it as an individual title, as something that belongs to us only, without thinking about it in the context of its expression of us as part of a family, of a community. But when we open the pages of Scripture, we see that it's not the story of individual salvation. Certainly individuals are saved in the Scriptures. But it's the story of the unfolding salvation of God's people, a community, past, present, and future. So in the very first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis 1, we read God say, I'm not sure if you've ever thought about it this way, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the ground, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And I wonder if you've ever noticed that God here in Genesis 1, made mankind, humankind, in his image, not as just Adam, as one mirror to God, as one reflection of who God is, but actually that together, Adam and Eve would image, would show, would reflect what God is like together. One book further in our Bible, at the foot of Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, we have God make this promise to Moses in Exodus 19.5. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
So the story of God's people in the Bible unfolds in the lives of individuals, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, but it's fulfilled in the community of God's people together. Even in the New Testament, we encounter the Apostle Peter using the exact same language from Exodus to describe the church. In 1 Peter 2, it says this, You, the church, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God with a purpose. What's the purpose? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, a bunch of individuals over there, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, the church together is that chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation that God spoke about with Moses on Mount Sinai. And the most exciting thing is that it doesn't stop there. In the words of John's vision in Revelation 7 at the end of the Bible, here's the picture. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. You see, the Bible opens with Adam and Eve, different but united, reflecting who God is, and it ends with this remarkable picture of united diversity. Brothers and sisters, on a day like today, at a time like the times we're living through, we face so much uncertainty, don't we? I actually started writing in my notes earlier in the week all the different uncertainties that we face, but it was exhausting to list them. And no matter what uncertainty has you unsettled this morning, the secure and certain future of God's people is that we will be together and united with that great multitude of people. And it won't be like the things that pass for united gatherings today. No way. There won't be a ticket price or a language or an interest or a political party or access to technology to stand in the way. There will be a gathering of people from all nations, across the generations, different languages and tribes, together. Think about that beautiful tapestry of diversity that will be present on that day. Men and women, different ages, different body shapes, different racial and ethnic backgrounds, different food preferences, different everything, united by this one thing, the king who created the universe and his son, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That's the story we have. So what do we do with it? Verse 4. When we think about that amazing picture... There's a sense in which, how would we ever talk about anything else? But in the daily pressures of life, those uncertainties I mentioned, it can be easy to forget it. So the psalmist says this in verse 4. We will not hide them, these stories we've been told, from their children, from from our parents' children. Think about our descendants in that way. We'll tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he's done. Remember in verses 1 through 3, the psalmist reflects on that story that our fathers have told us. So his generation has received the story from their fathers, and they have a choice. One of two things. Hide it or tell it. Those are the choices. 
And in Psalm 145, the psalmist reflects on really similar themes and I think gets at a real concept here that's very important. So Psalm 145, 3 through 7 says this, Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Some of the things we were reflecting on earlier. One generation will commend your works to another, will say how great they are. They'll tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They, the gathered church, will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. So as the older generations and... I'm taking that on myself as well, so please don't be insulted calling us adults older generations. We meditate on and we celebrate who God is. That's private devotion in our lives as a way of reminding those to come of how awesome God is. It says one generation commends God's works to the next. We remind the next generation of God's mighty acts of how wonderful he is. And if you're not a parent, or you're not a parent with younger kids, I hope you see very clearly in the text of the scriptures here that this is not a nuclear family individual responsibility. It's not just for the folks in the room at the moment who are worried about noise or who are feeling very tired, right? who didn't get to sleep in super late. Right? It's not just for those folks. Right? It's for all of us. The call is unmistakably a call to the entire generation, regardless of marital status or whether or not you have young children in your home at this time in your life. And sharing this story with young people is something we see throughout the scriptures. We miss it sometimes, but little children traveled with Jacob on the carts that Pharaoh had sent to move his family to Egypt. Little children were walking along the dry sands of the Red Sea as God had parted those waters for his people. They were there at the foot of Sinai. They were there witnessing the battle of Jericho. And all through salvation history, they were there. Time after time, kids were there. And after the exile, we read in Ezra 10, and we have that text, that the children were there as the people wept. The kind of repentance we were were reflecting on earlier. Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God. And I think in our culture, we'd say, that's an adults-only meeting. Please... Please make sure your kids get some childcare at home. But in the scriptures, men, women, and children gathered around Esther, Ezra. Sorry, They too wept bitterly over the sin of the people. And then in Nehemiah 8, all the children who could understand were there with their parents listening to the word of God. So it says um, in Nehemiah 8 that Ezra took the book of the law before the assembly. He read it aloud, get this, from daybreak until noon, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand the children. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. So what was the function of their presence? Was it so they could understand perfectly? I don't think so. Was it because they sat perfectly still for hours? Maybe six hours there? No, friends, the presence of children was so that they could bear witness, so they could experience, they could see God's people, the older generations delighting in who God is, worshipping him in diverse community, and weeping over their sin in this situation, showing the children by their behavior that sin is serious. 
And the pattern continues in the New Testament, doesn't it? When the Philippian jailer was converted, his whole household participated in that midnight conversion. And it's not all that surprising, surprising in our culture, but it's not all that surprising when we think about the Jesus whose way and story that we're reflecting on this year. Because when his disciples reflected a common cultural perspective about children, children are coming to Jesus, Jesus is doing something important, go away. Jesus was, and I love this word in Mark 10, Jesus was indignant. He was super mad that they were sending the children away. And he, he brings the children and he says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, but he doesn't just stop there, right? Catch this. It's not just about transmitting information about children, right? That's not it. It's also about demonstrating the value, showing the value of children. So he welcomed them and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. He said, this is just as important as the teaching I was just doing or the healing that I was just doing. This is part of what it means to love people. And then the most exciting thing comes in verses 5 through 8. The decision to share this glorious story has a very specific purpose and it changes the future. So Psalm 78 verses 5 through 8 say this. He decreed statutes for Jacob, established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Then they'd put their trust in God. And they would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God whose spirits were not faithful to him. So God did his work in the nation of Israel, and he gave them his law, the commandments that they were to follow. Then in verse 6, the result of those things, of those actions of God in history, were that the next generation would know them. Even it says, the babies yet to be born. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Especially in a community like ours, that has welcomed lots of little babies recently and has people, families, expecting new babies. You see, the purpose of sharing the gospel story will be fulfilled in the lives of children yet unborn. What we do on Sunday, what we do through the week through our gospel communities, that purpose is fulfilled in the lives of unborn babies of the next generation. And it's not even fully fulfilled in their lives. You see what it says there? It's not just that the unborn babies would hear the story. It's that they would rise up and tell the generation after that the wonderful things that God has done. And what's the result of all of this storytelling? In verse 7, faith and obedience. They would trust God and not forget his deeds, but keep his commands. That's profound, isn't it? Why do we fail to trust and obey God? Because we forget what he's done. We forget who he is. So we have this beautiful encapsulation of the gospel legacy, this multi-generational arc, looking back at great-grandparents, or grandparents at least, and looking forward to grandkids and beyond. And we stand, this generation stands, in the midst of that. You see, people who have been saved, who have been purchased into this community of believers who follow the story and the way of Jesus, we think about our lives in the context of the generations. 
Not what legacy of money or property will I leave behind, praise Jesus in my case, or even what great ideas or cultural impact might I have. No, the question for every single Christ follower, married or single, parent or not, is how will I, as part of this blood-bought community, contribute to that gospel legacy? How will I steer the next generation away from the stubborn rebellion of the previous generation and toward trust and obedience? How will I take up that calling? So how do we share that story today in 2022? For those of us who are not parents, this calling is an invitation to prayerfully explore how God wants you to be part of this storytelling to the next generation. It doesn't have to be by helping in creche or teaching in the Sunday school classes. It might be, but it doesn't have to be. And even if it does mean that, something very specific and measurable, tangible in your actions on a Sunday, it also means some important things about how we show up at church each week and how we act during church. It means we thank God for the baby's cry or the fidgety child. Because if this place was like a library every Sunday, it would be easy for us to forget that important calling to keep declaring the truth and the beauty of the gospel to the next generation. And sidebar, it would also be a very boring place if a gathering of God's people was just like a library every Sunday. You see, the in-church interruptions, the Sunday noise, remind us to pray for parents conscious of the more specific calling God has placed on their lives. We also show up at our church and in our gospel communities knowing that we are being watched. Not in a creepy way, but how you sing with energy, how you even listen to the word of God being shared, how you respond to sin in your life here in this gathering is shaping for the next generation how they think about how great the gospel is how great what Jesus has done for us is. And parents, if I can speak to you directly, those online and those in the room, I hope this message has reminded you at a time when isolation is such a curse and a challenge that you are not alone. That you are not alone. We're a part of this community of Christ followers. It's a shared responsibility. We arrive at church, maybe tired from a sleepless night or a difficult morning getting the kids here in one piece. But as people following the way of Jesus together, you can arrive here knowing there are brothers and sisters here praying for you. You can know that. Yeah, that's right. Not just when your kid's listening, but when they're crying or throwing a toy or distracting their sibling by taking the toy away from them to throw it, any of that, right? We're here for you. We're praying for you. You're helping us. This noise, ambient noise of kids, keeping our eyes fixed on the gospel legacy that extends beyond our own lives. It's a weighty calling to tell this story, but in God's kindness, it can have a glorious result. The hard decisions parents and all of us make to love children well, to speak the truth of the gospel to them, to get them out the door to church Sunday after Sunday, or in front of a computer Sunday after Sunday, By God's grace, we pray that those small choices of obedience lead to adult children who trust and obey God, who want to tell the story. And even that dream, friends, I've thought about it. I've prayed 
for my kids that they would grow up and trust Jesus. And you know what Psalm 78 tells us? It's an incomplete prayer. It's a wonderful prayer, but it's an incomplete prayer. The prayer shouldn't be, may my kids grow up and trust Jesus. It's, may my kids grow up and trust Jesus and tell their kids how great Jesus is. Tell the next generations how great Jesus is. And kids, those I still have, I want to say something directly to you. Thanks, kids, for being patient. Thanks for sitting through grown-up church with all of us. I know it's not easy all the time, right? But Sundays like this are a gift from God to you. They give you a chance to see people from different walks of life, some of them with funny accents, remembering how great God is, remembering how good it is that Jesus gave his life and rose again to offer us new life. We do this because of the great truth of the gospel, and we gather in this school hall in Blacksland each Sunday because we'll do it one day in a great crowd of millions of millions of different people in the throne room of the great King Jesus. And I imagine, for those of us struggling with the noise, it will be noisier than this, right? So I'd like to close by challenging you to take time to read Psalm 145 today. It's a text that maybe over lunch or dinner or sometime this week will give you the chance to reflect on both the psalmist's personal devotion to how great God is, but also how he wants the generations of Israel and even looking forward to the generations beyond to reflect on how great God is. And you see the text that I put on the screen there as well that offers tremendous hope. It was striking to me as I read Psalm 145 this week, that in the midst of personal devotion to God and the call to the next generations, one of the things that the psalmist says that is so appropriate for us in this moment is he lifts up those who are bowed down. God is there for you if you're struggling right now. And many of us are. And God is there. So let me pray and then we do have some time for questions if you like. Let's pray. Lord God, this is such, such a beautiful picture, and may we not let it slip away. Help us to make a commitment now in our minds to gather with our family or our loved ones or even a friend on a FaceTime call or whatever to, to read Psalm 145 today, to be captivated by your goodness and grace, to commit ourselves to personal devotion and to the important work of proclaiming the truth of the gospel to the next generation. We pray that our community and the broader community beyond would be transformed by the truth of the gospel this year as we commit ourselves to these reflections on the story and way of Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. So, if you have questions, I'm happy to answer them. Kids, too, if you want to ask a question. I'm cool. I'm game. Yeah, so next week, um, I'm going to be sharing a little bit in the service about um, where to from here, what some of this stuff from the scriptures that I've shared means for how we think about 
coming alongside parents, what we do as a church community. So there'll be a little bit more to share next Sunday as well. If you're thinking about implications, feel free to reach out to Dave and happy to speak offline as well to any folks who have questions as well. Yeah, go ahead, brother. Yeah, so the question for the recording and the folks online is um, the view on uncles and aunts in the church reinforcing and coming alongside um, parents in reinforcing the truth of the gospel that's being declared to the next generations. I, it's not so much a personal view as the way I read scriptures in some sense, which is that it is not an optional extra. You know, Some of you know that we serve for three years as missionaries, and we as Christians are aware that God has called us to declare the truth of the gospel to the nations, and we all have different roles in that calling. And I think parenting and declaring the truth of the gospel to the next generation is much like that in the sense that there are specific callings for the parents who are often operating as missionaries on the front lines, tired, <laughs> trying to work with kids. And, and there are others of us that can come behind them in different ways by encouraging their children, by reinforcing what's going on. And, and I think we rob ourselves in the church of a great deal if we think about those things as solely the responsibility of the, of the you know, um, DNA parents of those um, of those particular children. So yeah, I think we should all, whether uh, parents or not, in terms of our DNA and having our children, uh, we should think about the children of the church as our children in that broader sense, as our responsibility, um, our opportunity to pray, our calling to speak the truth of the gospel to them. Thanks, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so the Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so the question is how the gospel responsibility, this generation of generation responsibility expresses itself in our relationship with children outside of the church, whether it's through scripture, which is a great gift that the Australian church has, um, but through mostly accidents of history more than anything else, that's not available to a lot of believers all, all the way around the world. Um, but it's an opportunity to speak the truth of the gospel. And I think um, that the DNA, if I can, of a church like this that thinks about how are we present in the community how can we be connected with neighbors? Um, I think that is the thing. I love scripture. I've benefited from it. I've taught scripture here for a, a number of years at different times. But I think I'd fight for that. I'd fight for presence in the lives of kids and families in our neighborhoods, at life on life, where my kids have an opportunity to play with their kids and be self-evidently different in the choices that they make and the values that they hold, um, such that we generate conversation with the parents. I, I'd fight for scripture too, 
We don't have to do either or, but in, in a prioritization, I'd almost say, the thing I want to do is I want to be present with my kids' friends and their families such that we can together as a family point them to the glory and grace and beauty of the gospel. I think that's the opportunity there. And it's a, it's a huge one. Right? It's a big one. One more question? One. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say more of a comment. I just love what you said about parents not being alone because I think I've struggled with that a lot. Mm. And yeah, it's just wonderful how it's put that Yeah. Thanks, Heidi. No, I think, man, so many of you guys and my youngest, hey, Alex, if you're paying attention, which you should be, um, my youngest is four and a half, and I feel like I'm kind of exiting some of the more kind of in-the-trenches craziness that many of the parents here are facing, and brothers and sisters, it will get better. They grow up. They sleep through the night. Um, you generally survive. Um, but yeah, please let's, in the expression of that aunts and uncles, let's, let's be there for those with young kids because the season of life that so many of the parents here are in, um, it's, it's a tough season, right? It's character shaping and it's from God and he's in it. Um, and just like the macro stressful season that we're in with COVID, the sovereign God of the universe knows what he is doing, right? So I'm going to close. I'm going to pray for those parents. Um, this might be a little bit too Pentecostal for you, but um, if you would, if you know me, that's a really funny thing for me to say. But um, if you have a parent of a young child near you, maybe if you just put your hand on their shoulder in a COVID-safe way, and um, I will pray, especially for those parents in closing. God, you are the God of all comfort. You are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You offer us that easy yoke and light burden that Jesus spoke about. And God, would you help the parents of this church through our hands, whether physically or our prayers right now, to feel that light burden? And it probably means to feel the burden lifting a little today. To help them to know that, God, you are there. We are there together as a community of believers Working with them, each and every parent here is not alone. And that we might bring honor and glory to your name. We are united in this task of proclaiming the truth and beauty of the gospel to the generations. We praise you for this time together this morning, and we pray for comfort and special blessing for each of those parents today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you guys.